0: Welcome, listeners, to the BHL Podcast Series. I'm your host, Scott Heidner, along with my teammate and co host, Travis Grauerholtz. And today we are excited to have as our guest, Representative Dan Hawkins. Who represents the 100th district, House district in the Kansas House of Representatives, and we are recording down here in or darn near to his district in scenic Wichita. Dan, thanks for being with us. Thanks, Scott. Yeah, glad to have you here. Uh, so, uh, as you know, we uh, always like to go back to the beginning with our guests and find out uh, more about them from the from the early years on. So, give us the snapshot. Tell us where you grew up and where you went to school, and uh, some of your first jobs, and uh, what happened at high school. Give us the opening picture.
1: Sure. Um, number one, thanks for allowing me to uh, come and enjoy this podcast with y'all. Uh, I'm I'm actually originally from around uh, Attica, Anthony, uh, Kansas. Uh, that's I was actually born in Attica, Kansas, and and my dad worked in the uh, In the oil field uh, during that time. On my mom's side, my dad's side were were ranchers, but they had long given up the ranch by the time I got old enough to know anything about it. Uh, But but on my mom's side, they were dairy farmers. And so as a a young uh, boy, I spent a good share of my time on the dairy farm. In fact, I started working on the dairy farm when I was 10 and uh, worked on it right up until I went off to college. And so um I, I really so that was actually my first job, um, was working on the farm. Um I can remember my first pay was fifty cents an hour. Amazing.
0: <laughs> and you probably thought you were rolling. It was dough. awesome.
1: <laughs> I was making more money than you you could believe and, 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 and when we and when we did hay, uh when we actually had you know, we'd do uh, do hay what, four times the summer, you'd get a penny a bale for, for stacking hay bales. So yeah, you'd get a little bonus on top of uh, the pay. But, you know, that's uh, the, the, the farm was a great a great time. I look back on it, often said that if uh, our family could have stayed on the farm, uh, I would have stayed on the farm. But, unfortunately, um, back during that time, it was a tough time for farmers, and, and uh, my uncles uh, experienced a, uh, a catastrophic loss three years in a row due to flooding. And it really pretty much put them under, and over the years, uh, they tried to keep going and finally just decided to give it up and they sold sold everything
0: and got out of farming. So well, just out of idle curiosity, what time period that flooding? The
1: flooding was um it would have been like seventy eight, seventy nine, eighty in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was actually at Rock, Kansas. Uh, they had a they had a farm over there, plus a farm down in in Harper County.
0: So, interestingly enough, our last guest we had on the show was Senate President Masterson, and you know what his first job was? What farming? Dairy farm. <laughs> there That's, you go. Absolutely, oh, isn't <laughs> yeah. that amazing? I did I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, wow. Learned something new. Well, I bet we'll have yeah. some listeners that didn't know you grew up on a dairy farm either. Now they yeah. will
1: milk cows. Uh, and and, and actually love milking cows. It was not a bad. It was not a bad life but you you truly married to it. You know, so we milk twice a day, you know, three hundred and sixty five days a year. So
0: Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter, Didn't New matter. Year's and Didn't everything matter. in between. Yep.
1: You still found time to do those things that the family needed to do. They yeah. Just had chores to do in between. So.
0: so growing up on the farm, what were some of your
1: childhood hobbies? I know we've talked a little bit about kind of in the past to do a little bull riding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when so so uh, growing up it, it's actually kinda of funny. I tell this story and people really chuckle about it. So when I was a little kid, we would rode our cows. After we'd finished milking in the morning, we'd rode them about a mile and a half to a pasture. It was a, oh, around a, It was a little bit bigger than a quarter section of grass. Rode them over there, and then at about three o'clock in the afternoon, we'd go back and pick them up. Well, I would walk over there. They, you know, generally, those cows once they start getting full, they're they're meandering towards the, the gate. They know where they're supposed to go. And I'd open it up, get them started, and I would jump on the last cow and ride the last cow back to the farm. <laughs> yeah, that's, nobody believes that, but that's actually true. That's a fact. I would ride, in the summer, uh, that's what, during the winter, we didn't take them over to that pasture, we kept them at home. <laughs> uh, but during the summer, yeah, we'd ride them over there. So then, of course, get into high school, and uh, high, by that time, the farm was gone, um, we, uh, uh, I, I got into the rodeo club and, and we were going all over the place, riding bulls and bareback Bronx. I never rode saddle Bronx, but I rode bareback Bronx. Never did ride bareback Bronx really in a, in a rodeo. I usually rode those just in practice or something, but not in a rodeo. I wasn't a bronc rider. Uh, wasn't really a bull rider either. I just liked doing it. So it was, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't any good at it, but it was fun to do. So
0: how, how old were you when you got started?
1: oh probably i don't know 15 ish
0: yeah did you did your parents know
1: oh yeah yeah um the in and, and, and when i really got, i got hurt you know everybody gets hurt if you're riding bulls long enough you get hurt when i got hurt i got hung up on a bull one time at uh sankey's over here at rose hill and uh, uh that was the end of my bull riding. i got I, I ended up in the emergency room and Oh, yeah, for it, was, sakes. it, was, yeah, it was fun. It, so. it
0: had your mom's seal of approval, though. You didn't get Wait until the... that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask whose whose decision was it? Your decision or mom was like, no, no that more. It
1: was mom's decision. Mom said, oh, it's time to quit that. You got you. You don't need to do that." Dad thought it was funny, but mom, <laughs> mom didn't. Mom didn't have too much fun with that one. So. Look at that, yeah. honey. That animal beat the hell out of our child. That's hilarious. Yeah, you you know, those things, and and you're you're really, you know, when you're that young, you're bulletproof, so you don't even think that much about it. Got hurt, get back up, and you'll do it again. But parents had another thought about that. So so.
0: I mentioned having Senator Masterson on. Uh, A few weeks before that, we went down and talked to Rich Prail.
1: Rich Prail is not only a bull rider. He was a clown.
0: Well, I know that now. I didn't know it then. So... (laughs) You guys I assume different ages, different times. You oh, never yeah. cross paths.
1: No, no, no. We never cross paths but but he's my hero though. Yeah. I, I mean, not only did he was he a good bull rider and he rode for oh, I don't know, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen years. And and then he was a, a clown for like four years. Yeah, uh, his last four years he was a clown and, and a good clown from what I was told. That's awesome. So yeah, he's uh, and, and if you get a look at some of his pictures, he's got some great pictures.
0: So I've got a I'll say this quick and we can move on because I'm sure most of our listeners are thinking, my God, you are spending a lot of time on 1970s Kansas rodeo stories. But <laughs> I've got a buddy of mine whose dad is older than than Richard by a little bit. He's probably 80 ish and. Uh, his dad just talked and talked and talked about Freckles Brown. Yeah. Does that name mean yep. anything to you? Yep. Uh, for all I knew, my buddy had been making that name up our entire life until I ran into Rich Prale. And he's yeah. like, I knew Freckles.
1: Oh, yeah. So the, the, those, uh, so, so the stock contractors really get known in their areas. Uh, so over around Hutch, it was Rumford, Rumford Stock Contractors. And I, so I asked Rich, I said, you know Rumford? He says, oh, yeah, I even knew the dad and the granddad. He said, I knew them all yeah so yeah those those groups well it just like Sankey over here at, at Rose Hill you know dad started that both boys became world champions um, they had well, and they turned it into a huge stock contracting business after the boys got done riding yeah so yeah
0: well I think I, I told Ty this story too and uh, at risk of using a profanity with our listeners our, you and I were just talking at lunch with Travis about the leadership program we do for our engineering client and trying to get them involved and several years ago i had a a young man justin mater grew up in western kansas and we asked him how'd you get into engineering and i will never forget his answer and he was just as serious as a heart attack he said well i grew up on a dairy farm and you know he said never a day off the whole nine yards and he said i think it was one cold january or february morning he said and i quote I got flicked in the face with a frozen shit covered cow tail for about <laughs> oh, yeah. the hundredth time oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and decided right then and there that I'm, I'm going in engineering. I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, that happens more than you think. And even
1: people who, you know, the farmers who are, are dairy farmers at some point in time, you know, they retire because it, it, it does. It takes its toll because you really never do get any time off. Yeah, It's got to be there day in and day out.
0: Well, moving on from that, so go through your childhood and your bull riding and your teen years. What did your professional career look like go, heading into adulthood?
1: Well, that's an interesting thing, too. You know, I never – when I was in high school, I never thought about being in college. So um, then when high school was over, I didn't know what, that, what I was going to do. I ended up going to Hutch Juco, a mm-hmm. uh, pretty easy place to start, and uh, – uh, Pretty much, almost flunked out because I spent the whole first year on the golf course instead of going to school. <laughs> so, so then I went to work because it didn't look like school was a very good thing for me, and and I, I literally was a welder here in Wichita at a place called Kice Metals back then. still actually here. Uh, they made grain spouting equipment and grinders and milling and all kinds of stuff like that. So I was a welder there, and it got up to about 120 degrees that summer in the uh, in the shop, and I go. Called Dad and I said, "Hey Dad, is that offer to go back to school still out there?" He goes, "Yeah, come on back." So
0: was was that your version of getting flicked in the face it with was. The frozen? It was, <laughs>
1: yeah. So I I went back to school and it, and when I went back to school that time, it was time to actually you know buckle down and
0: back to Hutch JUCO.
1: Yeah, uh, you know I was all about school at that point. I was, I, was <laughs> I knew that I knew that being a welder, which is what my dad was. My dad was a welder a uh, good share of his life. Um, I knew that that was just not going to be a good thing for me. So went back to school, then went to Emporia State, um, had a great time at Emporia State, loved college there, loved Emporia. Actually, Emporia is a great place to go to school at, small, um, got recruited out of college, uh, by Hormel, uh, the meat, uh, the, the pork producer, pork, uh, processor, I should say, and, uh. Uh, That was interesting, going to Fremont, Nebraska. Nebraska is a lot colder than Kansas. Uh, Man, it was cold up there. You wouldn't believe how cold it was. Um, Literally, when I I found out you had to plug your car in to keep it from freezing (laughs) (laughs) so you can start it the next day and go to work, uh, that's just too darn cold. But anyway, um, I had had a great time up there. I, I actually did something that most people find fascinating. I started out kind of as a relief foreman, and worked my way up and had the uh, night spam canning operation. So I was the supervisor over the spam canning operation in Fremont, Nebraska on night shift.
0: How funny! Yeah,
1: so you know people always ask, you know, spam—that's crappy stuff. No, it's not. It's it's really good stuff. Yeah, well, it was. A,
0: uh, it was a staple at my house. It
1: was at my house too. My dad <laughs> loved it. Matter of fact, yeah. when I worked there, we had an opportunity to buy every month how much ever we wanted and i'd buy a bunch for my dad he just <laughs> loved it uh, yeah, so christmas uh, shopping made
0: easy yeah
1: so uh <laughs> so then i got like i said it was too cold in nebraska I, I had an opportunity to come back to wichita uh and and supervise the uh bacon slice department here in wichita for for hormel a company called Dole foods it's one of their subsidiaries and had that for about four years, and then I was over the smokehouse uh, department there for about a year. And then I left and went into business with my dad. Uh, my dad had been in the natural gas business all of his life. Um, I guess that was about 91. And dad and I didn't get along very well. Uh, we, we were together about four years, and it was better for us not to work together than to work together. So I left and went into the insurance business and started, uh, uh, started that career in uh, guess it was 95. So I've been doing that about 26 years now. And I specialize, uh, you know, over time you figure out what, what's best for you in that. There's a lot to do in that industry. Uh, ended up uh, kind of settling in the the uh, employee benefits arena, um, which really kind of is a good segue in how I got to the legislature.
0: I was going to be fresh on hey. our list of questions to ask, but I have to real quick before we do... Uh you might be proud to know your alma mater. We have done a podcast show with Hutch Juco.
1: Really? Doctor
0: File and Denny Steckline. Yeah. Yeah, we sure did. Oh, be darn. Went out there and learned all about blue dragons, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Blue dragons. Went out there yeah. and learned all about their uh you know, their college and, and the majors and everything else. Yeah. It,
1: it was a good college. Yeah. It really was. They got some unique things there. Uh, it, as Emporia does, I mean it, that's the one thing good about all the universities in the state—they have their thing. You know, you, you you got Pittsburgh, this awesome at, you know, at uh, construction technology and automotive and some various things. And you know, KU, K-State, Wichita State's got the engineering and
0: yeah. yeah. Well, they had a they had a cool story to tell. Yeah. Yep. yep. So now that uh, you're in the insurance industry, what what interested you in pol- public policy?
1: Like, yeah, Why did you get involved so, in that one? Yeah, that's what I was saying. That's a great segue for me to get into that because uh, if you remember, um, I know you're too young, Travis, but <laughs> Scott remembers, back in 06 area when Sibelius is wanting to bring uh, universal health care to Kansas. Uh, our Association, which is the National Association of Health Underwriters, really got involved in going throughout the state as as the gov the governor governor put together a task force, and they put on a listening tour and they just went throughout the state. Well, what we what what we found by going to those is that the governor really did not know what all resources Kansas really had, and and so we really started focusing on the reason why we didn't necessarily need. Um, universal health care in Kansas, what we did need is them for to use the tools that we have. Right. And so I got to where I was calling at the time Gene Solentrop. Senator Gene Solentrop was my rep. Uh Senator um uh dang the, the car dealer out here on well, the Les list. Donovan.
0: Les Donovan yeah. Senator
1: Les Donovan was my <laughs> senator. And I wrote a lot of, of letters to him, emails, called him, got to know Gene a whole lot better than Les. You know, Les really didn't take that many calls. <laughs> uh, but we, but we, uh, we literally got to conversing a lot about that. I was pretty, I was pretty convinced that Kansas wasn't going to go down that road, and, and we didn't. Uh, but I, I told my wife back then, I said, you know, if that, if that Gene sawntrop ever retires, I'd kind of like to take a shot at that and uh, and so then in you know 2012 comes uh, redistricting happens my district is empty he gets moved out of my district so it's an empty district and I, I never will from, uh, forget that Saturday morning uh, the courts had decided on Friday Saturday morning I wake up see the paper look at my district it's empty I go I wake up my wife at 7 o'clock, which would normally get you killed. (laughs) (laughs) And I told her, I said, hey, this is my chance. I need to run for office. And I never will forget, she looks at me and she says, well, it's not a whim. You've been talking about it for a long time, so I guess you probably ought to do it. I'll be darned. What year was that? And that was 12. Okay. If you remember 12, it was a real hot summer. Uh, I lost a whole bunch of weight walking that district. Uh, Saw everybody. Had a pretty good primary. It was a, it was a, a it was a contested primary and uh, won it and then won the general and, and then headed to Topeka and got up there and didn't have a clue what I was doing
0: <laughs> as as is the case for yeah almost anybody not naturally
1: a, yeah it's really a, for, a foreign it's really a foreign thing most people don't understand our system
0: so it's and we're going to get into that in more detail too but it's always interesting most people have either a person that inspired him to pursue a public office or an issue, uh, and yeah. and you did. I'll just a quick sidebar: um, Lynn Jenkins, a former, uh, amongst other things, Congresswoman from Kansas. I met her for the first time, gosh, probably 1998 or 99. I was just out of law school and I was a staffer for the Topeka City Council office, and I don't think she had. Any more thought of public office at that point than the man in the moon, but she lived in a neighborhood where they were proposing to build a Walgreens, and she was mad as heck. And so <laughs> down to city hall she came, and her and the neighbors and and pitched a fit, and that's uh, that was the issue that, that got her, her. yeah. Involved. So that's always interesting. Oh, yeah. So, but having said that, something that's kind of unique about you, there aren't. I mean, I'm sure there's several, but it is a minority of legislators, I'm confident, that their first elected office was the state legislature. Most yeah. people either have city commission or library board or oh, yeah. you know, something like that. County but, commission. But it was your first.
1: Yeah, it was my first, yeah. I, I literally, uh, I remember coming up and on that Monday, uh, you had to to file by noon on Monday. I came up to Topeka and and filed. And and while I was there, I met Will Carpenter. Uh, Will Carpenter and I became really, really close friends. And uh, the one thing he had over me was, he'd been commissioner. He'd been a county commissioner for like eight years. So he understood politics much better. And I can remember, that first year setting in the chamber and you're trying to figure things out and maybe you voted a little bit strange on something. And he'd get on the phone and call me and say, you sure you want to vote that way? He probably ought to rethink that. Yeah. <laughs> so we'd change our votes. Nice to have a
0: veteran looking at the It is. Yeah. Nice to have yep.
1: somebody that kind of watching over you, you know, helping you. You know, learn the learn the ropes up there.
0: So it just occurs to me, I didn't even say in the introduction, and shame on me, introduced you as a state rep, but I failed to mention that you are the current House Majority Leader. So you've been elected five times total, yes. if my math is yes. right, yes. Uh, serving fifth full term. Right. And you have run the gamut from, as you just described, a freshman legislator that barely knew where the restroom was, all the way up through committee yep. leadership roles to House Majority yep. Leader. Uh, give us the chronology of your growth trajectory between day one and here.
1: Yeah, so uh, so so that first year was a difficult year. It was a learning year. Wasn't really sure I would, I didn't like it. I got to tell you, I did not like the legislature one bit. Didn't like how it worked. Thought it was just backwards. Um, had to really go home that summer and and really think through uh, if I was even going to go back. And, and, you know, I really did a lot of, Uh, self-analysis and I finally figured out you know you can't change everybody else you can only change how you look at things Uh, so undoubtedly I was looking at the process wrong I needed to understand the process and I literally decided to go back and pour myself into the committee work and the committee I liked of course was health Uh, loved health and human services and so Dave Crum uh, was our uh, chairman at that time, and I went to Dave and says, "Dave, I'll do anything you need. You know, I really want to understand things." And he was a great mentor, um, so good that the next year when he retired, I was made uh, Health Chair. Uh, so that so I had the Health cha- Health and Human Services chairmanship for four years. Uh, I think that really prepared, but that prepares you very well for the next step into leadership. Um, you know, you learn some of the things you have to do and and you can't do and uh it really it really does it gives you a pretty good sound fo- foundation for uh, getting into leadership and then in um what was it i guess it was 19 was when i became uh a uh, majority leader mm-hmm. and so 1920 and this is uh, the second one 21 and 22 will be the second term or the second biennium uh, and then you know really we're done what you we, our rule is generally you get two terms in each of those places. So uh, in the next one, either I make speaker or I'm done, I guess. So, <laughs> one or the other one.
0: We always ask, we talk to a lot of folks that have gone through that uh, career trajectory into the leadership, and we always ask what, uh, what changes most as a legislator through that trajectory, and I guess most specifically when you get into a leadership position, not just committee leadership, but – chamber leadership how does your life as a legislator and your role change
1: well that's a great question scott i got to tell you because there is a massive change and the change really occurs in how you look at what's going on you know as a legisl- as a legislator one vote out of 125 sitting out there before you become a, a, a an official leader like majority leader you really don't understand all of the things that's going on behind the scenes to make things happen. You don't understand all of the people, all of the, the uh, uh, stakeholders that literally come to the leadership trying to get them to uh, buy off on, on what they're wanting to do. Um, most people don't understand. Uh, the, the pressures behind, you know, they, they, they get emails. Well, we get emails plus all of their emails that they're getting plus ones that are meant just for us. And, and so there's a lot of pressure to do certain things. And the one thing you have to do is you have to look at more of a global, uh, a global stance versus just an individual. You have to, you have to look at what's going to be best for, for Kansas and for the body as a whole. And so there's some things that just should never see the light of day. You're going to have the intestinal fortitude to say no. And, and and you end up saying no a lot. I mean, that that's probably the one thing that I, uh, people get tired of hearing me say no. We can't do that. That's not something we should be doing. Um, and some people just won't. Some people can't do that. I think I was actually, and I hope this doesn't sound, you know, egotistical or something but I think I was really made to be majority leader that majority leader's job has fit me very well uh, and I think I've been able to manage the the different constituencies of it pretty well and I, and I really enjoy the job I think it's probably one of the out of out of my nine years it's probably the one thing that I've probably enjoyed the most and it's probably also one of the toughest jobs I've ever done
0: remember, um, remember the old advertisements for the army the toughest job you'll yeah. ever love oh yeah that kind absolutely. of thing absolutely Uh, so just a opinion comment for me, but if you work in that environment very long, you will see, and I think this is what not only the public doesn't understand, but frankly, a lot of legislators early in their career don't understand too, is that for the people in leadership, one of the most important things you can and have to do if you want to protect your caucus is say no.
1: No, Absolutely. And probably the one of the things that probably is the best part of that is the fact that I was also that I've also been had the opportunity to be a part of probably one of the best teams there has ever been. Um, you know, our speaker uh, Ron Reichman. Uh, I've learned so much from him. Uh, he has talents that I don't have. He has skills that I don't have uh, that I've wanted to learn. Uh, working with uh, Blaine Finch as the speaker pro tem. Nobody in the legislature knows what that man's done and probably never will know what he's done. Uh, they don't understand how integral he has been to our success in the House. Uh, and, and, and that's sad. It's sad that they won't know that uh, simply because you'll never hear him toot his own horn. He's just, that's just not, that's not him. He yeah. won't do that. But I will. I'll tell you, that guy is invaluable. Uh, and so we each kind of had our own strengths. And when you put them all together... It made an amazing team. Just yeah. an amazing team.
0: That's awesome. Yep. What uh, you talked about some of the harder parts and the harder days, and telling people no. What's your favorite part about being majority leader?
1: You know, I would say that my my most favorite part is the fact that I get to meet people that I would never have met otherwise in life. I, I love uh, people. I'm a I'm, I'm really a person that just loves being around people, uh, and, and and the people that we get to meet being leaders of our state, and even as a, even as a, a rep, you get to meet a lot of people that you never would, but, you know, then you advance to majority leader, you know, Speaker Pro Tem or Speaker, you're going to, you're going to deal with a lot of people across the state that have very important positions. And sometimes it's very humbling that we're dealing with these people because, you know, they're representing multi-billion dollar corporations and we get a chance to uh, work with them. So, uh, the opportunities that are that we're exposed to are just unbelievable. Uh, kind of, you know, I kind of look at it. You know, I'm 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 kind of towards the lighter side of life. I'm I just went over 61 now, so I'm. You know, I'm kind of on the downhill <laughs> side, uh, you know, <laughs> versus – I,
0: I hope it's a slope and not <laughs> a slide. Uh...
1: I hope so, too. I hope it lasts a while. <laughs> but when you think about it, you you, you really get you, – you got a certain amount of time here on earth, and you better make the best of it and the most of it. And right now that's what I'm trying to do is trying to make the most of it in, in the opportunities that we have here in our state.
0: Very cool. Well, last comment about the majority leader role specifically – Uh, We talked about the hard parts, talked about the fun parts. What's the most surprising part? What would listeners be most surprised to know is part of your responsibility in that role?
1: Well, sometimes I I would say that this one probably would be one that you probably shouldn't say on, on air, but probably the most surprising is the number of personal issues you have to deal with as majority leader. You have to deal with lots of personal conflict with with individuals within our bodies. Uh, that really surprised me, the amount of time that you spend dealing with conflict uh, between members um, uh, and even members and leadership, the, the conflict is sometimes pretty, um, pretty intense. Uh, but you have to keep that in perspective. Uh, I think the one thing that the legislature has probably taught me the best is the ability to flush the bad out pretty quick and let's move on because we don't have time for it. You know, so I, before, before being uh, in the house, if, if somebody was to do me wrong, you know, I was, I would set out to figure out how I was going to get them back for doing me wrong. We don't have time for that. So we have to learn just to move on, let that one go because tomorrow we got another problem we got to deal with. And that's probably one of the greatest, um, Uh, life experiences that I've learned through the legislature is to be able to move through these these trials and 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 kind of dump all the bad stuff out and focus on the good stuff and to be able to continue to have relationship with those that you have conflict with Uh, because we have to we just Mm -hmm. have to Uh, it's a hard it's a hard one to do
0: how many people do you have in your caucus
1: We have 86.
0: 86. So I guess the analogy I would offer to listeners, because a lot of our listeners manage people in one capacity or another. But uh, imagine being the direct manager of 86, and then uh, maybe this is the part I shouldn't say on the podcast, but uh, I think elected officials tend to be uh maybe not the easiest to manage you know there's a lot of personality there and a lot of strong personality traits Yes, there's a lot of egos yes that was that's the word i was trying to avoid but since you said it it's okay (laughs) it's (laughs) like like having 86 different departments that's right i mean
1: really when you so when you think about it just from a standpoint of what uh, what makes up our legislature so you have people who are willing to step out of their comfort zone, run for an office. Um, some of them are six hours away from home, uh, so 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 it's not easy being away from home. But they're willing to step out, put their their themselves out on a line for a job that pays them nothing. Uh, you, you know, people think we're, we make one hundred and seventy-five thousand dollars a year. No, that's that's. DC. We're in Topeka. Topeka is $88.66 uh, an hour. R- I mean, or a day. A, hey, a yeah. day, not an hour, <laughs> a day. Uh, so we're making $10,000 for a session for a three f- and a half month session.
0: Which never actually ends. The, no. ga- the gavel may hit, but the phone calls no. don't stop <laughs> and the no. invitations so, to the chamber so events and whatever.
1: So you're talking about people who are willing to step out, but not only that, they were willing to serve and to serve for very little. Uh, so you have to get some type of satisfaction from what they're doing or they wouldn't do it. Uh, and their satisfaction mostly comes from the fact that they're doing things for the state, hopefully for the good of the state. Yeah. Uh,
0: well, one more question from my end, then I'll give Grauerholtz Holtz a, a chance to ask anything he wants to, uh, to wrap up. But I think we never want to miss an opportunity. We've asked you a lot about growing up and your job and your career and the legislature, uh, but want to give you a moment to talk about I know what's most important to you. Tell us about your family. You and Diane have been married yeah. for a long time. Kids, grandkids, give us uh We
1: have. So, uh, so w- we met in college at Emporia State. Uh, we were married in 1985, uh, July 20th of 1985, and I think that was the hottest day of that year. <laughs> that church was... I was sweating. That church was extremely hot. I never let her forget that but I really wanted to get married like in December, January, February. Oh no, we got to pick the hottest do day. Did you feel get.
0: like you were back in that welding shop again? Oh yeah. <laughs> it was hot that day.
1: Um, and we, and like, like I said, we started out in Nebraska and ended up here in Wichita. Uh, we have two awesome daughters. Uh, Hannah uh, is my oldest and she helps run the company when I'm gone. So if without her, I couldn't even do this job um she also has our only grandson so far but i'm sure we'll have more um, his actual name is gavin but i call him rocky um so and and, and the reason why is uh, i knew a guy by the name of rocky and he was a great rodeo guy and so rocky just it wasn't rocky balboa it was a guy by the name of rocky patterson down in uh uh, down in the Anthony area, his uh, actually became. A, he, I think he's been a world champion in the steer roper, uh, hmm. if I remember correctly. He has at least one world championship under his belt. Um, always, always thought a lot of his family, and so I call this this uh, grandson of mine Rocky just because <laughs> of that. And and he's about. That's what is he? Uh, Twenty-seven months old now. Uh, he's starting to figure out Rocky is actually his nickname. It's, it's taken a while, but he's figured that out now. <laughs> That's fun. That's Grandpa awesome. calls him Rocky. He's, I'm the only one that calls him that.
0: So. Are you sure you didn't give him a nickname because you didn't want to have any linkage with that scoundrel Gavin Cridler? You, <laughs> well, you know, that was one thing I told my daughter when she named him Gavin. I said, I can't
1: believe you named him Gavin. And she goes, why? I says, because the only Gavin I know is Gavin Cridler. <laughs> I don't want my
0: grandson named Gavin jeez (laughs) oh that is awesome that's great I want you to know and it seems like about every other podcast we do. We find a way to make fun of Gavin Christ. Yeah, well, we he's do. not hard. <laughs> not, yeah,
1: I don't think you ever have a hard time finding anybody wants to make fun of him. <laughs>
0: the next time he comes over for a cigar, because here's the other thing we always say, too. Gavin has ADD. He'll never make it to the end of a 30-minute podcast. Oh, no. But I'll skip ahead and play him this part. <laughs> there you go. Next time we're having a cigar.
1: Actually, I've actually I've told Gavin about that. I told him that I call him Rocky just because I hated him. <laughs> I hated my daughter naming and even
0: Gavin. Well, I was kidding when I said it. The fact that it's true, that it's just true, makes it it's even a better. Fact. Oh. I was going to assume we were being called Rocky for, you know, maybe get him into the bull riding or the rodeo what? phase later on. You know, no, that, now, I don't know. It's this one.
1: That Boy is going to be something because he's, uh, he's going 100 mile an hour all the time. I mean, well, he is like Gavin Kreidler. Oh, no, he is. He's, he's he's probably one of those AD&D types. So.
0: Our, uh, our poor listeners don't even know. Gavin Kreidler is a colleague of all of ours he's a fellow government affairs guy has his own company and he's a he's a great american which is why we make so much fun of him all the the time
1: actually he takes it very well oh yeah you know why because he knows everybody loves him absolutely if they're giving him crap they know he knows they love him it's so true (laughs) so true hannah hannah's my oldest Haley's my youngest and Haley is a uh, nurse. She got her BSN from Wichita State, so she's a nurse. Um, she's married to a, um, a Wichita police officer, and we're really proud of him. His name's C.J. Miller, uh, Christopher Miller. Uh, we call him C.J. Everybody else calls him Christopher, but he—he uh, uh, he literally has done some amazing things. He's already a member of the SWAT team, and he's also a a member of the narcotics team here on the Wichita Police Department. So we're pretty proud of him. Hannah's son, or Hannah's uh, uh, husband, is a uh, computer guy. He's a computer geek out at uh, Coke Industries, so he's been out there for a lot of years. So I don't mean to uh, not give him his due, because... He's smart at computers, and I'm not. Matter of fact, i got to call him tonight because i got a problem with my computer today. So I'm going to have to call him and have him come over and help me.
0: You think the life of a legislator is thankless. How would you like to be somebody with a high IT acumen that everybody knows they can call when something oh, goes it'd wrong? Oh, yeah. it, it would be horrible, would My brother is an IT administrator for a living. And yeah. That poor bastard. It's yeah. <laughs> just unbelievable. Yeah. Everybody calls me, including me.
1: Oh, yeah. So that's uh, so that's my um, that's my immediate family. Mom and dad are gone. They've they've been gone quite a while now. So um, my wife, she lost her mom uh, just this last summer. So uh, our family has shrunk down to just a real small uh, nucleus now. We don't have a an extended family to speak of. So they're all gone.
0: Just means more time to chase the I say grandkids yeah, yeah, singular yeah. today, but maybe oh yeah, maybe plural in the future. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we just uh, we 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 love to go on vacation. Diane and I uh, uh, took this uh, summer an unbelievable three week vacation in our motorhome. Um, I did decide after two weeks I'd really had enough and I was ready to come home, but she wasn't. So we stayed out that third week. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, so you yeah. gotta make gotta make mama happy. You know? <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, I bet you didn't need to get elected to figure that one out. <laughs> no, 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 no,
1: not at all. <laughs> yeah but that's good time good, good yeah, the,
0: the next question actually i was going to ask was any hobbies and i know we've talked a little bit about motorhome in the past and traveling and then you know the bull riding and sure you're not doing it anymore but is and it still actually, part of
1: actually fishing too i love to fish i just don't have any time um you know before i uh well i guess before i really got into the leadership role uh we would go down to um, Branson, Missouri. I've been known for going to Branson, Missouri. You guys all see it on Facebook. uh Go down there and go fishing. And and since I've been in leadership, I've not been down there more than maybe a couple of weekends a year. So I'm looking forward to someday being able to, you know, get back into because I love Branson. I love the the Lake Tanacomas is the trout the trout lake. Love to go down there and go trout fishing. I can literally just uh, – even if I didn't catch fish, I can sit on a boat all day.
0: <laughs> you know, Branson gets a lot of static for being, you know, campy or whatever. But uh, our engineering client, ACEC, that we were talking about just earlier, they have a conference there every year, and we love it. We look forward to going down there every year.
1: Hey, you know, I got an idea. If you ever need a legislature to come down and talk to him, I would come down and talk to him.
0: <laughs> you, uh, you laugh. That might actually – uh I'll do it. Don't be surprised if you get a phone call. That I'm would be, in. I'm in. <laughs> that would be killer. Yeah. Very cool. And it's actually a joint well, we can talk about it offline, but it's a joint Kansas, Missouri, Oklahoma meeting. We might yeah. get a call from, from each state. Yeah. yeah. That could be pretty cool.
1: Yeah, so I got a good friend over in uh Missouri that I met here a couple of years ago. His name is John Weeman and he's the uh he's the uh speaker pro Tim in the House over there. He's running for the Senate now. Um, and so this this last session, him and a uh, representative Dan I want to say it's Hawk H O U X I believe was how you maybe it's Hoke. Um, they came over and spent a day at the uh, Kansas House during one of our sessions. And then in April, I went over and spent a day at the Missouri house. Very cool. Uh, it was really cool because they do things different than we do. A lot different. Yeah. Um, I was actually kind of surprised at the, the at the differences. We all get to the same place. I think they just take a lot longer to get there than we do. <laughs> it's like, wow, they take a long time to get where we get. <laughs> so I,
0: I, we probably have never talked about this, but our... Company BHL, we have a Jefferson City office too. And one thing we learned several years ago when we opened up for business in Missouri, we think of the divide in Kansas between urban and rural, and then that's real. Oh, yeah. But boy, it's nothing compared to the divide between Kansas City and St. Louis, Missouri. That is like two different states. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Yeah. Unbelievable.
1: um, they you know, sometimes we think Kansas is a red state. For the most part, we are, but we've got some problem areas where it's a little bit more bluer. (laughs) Probably shouldn't have said it. (laughs) Missouri, on the other hand, is super red. And they do things that we wouldn't dream of doing. (laughs) I mean, it's like, wow.
0: So I have to tell you one anecdote and i think this is true because i've heard it said so many times but i have never actually confirmed for myself and after this we'll we'll let you go but uh as you know much to your chagrin you and travis both have the good judgment not to be a consumer of the fine cigar which i am but i have been told for years over in missouri that when they put the smoking ban in effect in the capital there was a lobbyist over there that was just the The Dalai Lama, you know, the godfather, and had been there forever and had quite a bit of influence. And he represented either Budweiser or Cigar industry, but that they actually wrote an exemption into the rules of the facility. Uh, It's non-smoking except within 10 feet of him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I have been
0: told that story multiple times. I need to check the veracity of that. But if it's true... That's the coolest thing I have ever heard, and I want to be that guy.
1: Well, you know, I when I was over there, I asked him because I said I'd heard all these stories about Anheuser Busch backing their trailers up and unloading the beer. I said, "Where's the beer?" And they said, "Well, that was that was a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't happen that way anymore." <laughs> But they said, if you go and look at some of these refrigerators in these offices, you may find some liquor. (laughs) Well, that's just
0: supporting the local industry. That's right. right. (laughs) Well, Dan, I can't tell you how much on behalf of Travis and myself, we appreciate you making time to sit down and visit. Um, You're always so gracious with your time, and we have enjoyed it very, very much, and I know our listeners will, too. So thank you so much for that.
1: Well, thank you, Scott. Thank you, Travis. It's been fun. Uh, I've, I've seen these podcasts for a long time, and I think man, I've now made it. Uh, <laughs> my first time to be on one of your podcasts, so I have to have made it.
0: <laughs> yeah, your, uh, your career is going to reach new speeds you never even dreamed of once you get out on this platform. Uh, Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, state representative and House Majority Leader Dan Hawkins has been our guest. And I forgot to uh, give some appreciation at the beginning of this. We are recording at the offices of Trans Systems Engineering in Wichita, Kansas. We appreciate them for making some space for us today. Thank you all for tuning in, and we look forward to joining you on the next episode of the BHL Podcast Series.